I think it was about three years ago when Vicki and I had the opportunity to go to Israel with Brother Sharp and to visit and see the, the land where uh, God's people, the Jewish people, live and dwell. And what a tremendous blessing that was. And uh, that was my second opportunity, Vicki's first opportunity to go there. And Brother Sharp has been there many, many times, knows the, the uh, Jewish people well and knows much of what God is doing over there. And uh, it's so important for us just to keep our eyes on Israel. And uh, as we think about the future, because God's not finished with Israel, is he? And uh, there's still a lot that's going on. But that was one of the highlights of our life to get to go. I don't know how soon he's going to be able to make trips like that again, but uh, someday some of you may be able to do that. It was a, a, just a great blessing. And to be able to take all the different passages of Scripture and put them together to the places and see that is a tremendous blessing. God's given him a great ministry with the Jewish people and uh, has given him many open doors and used him in a mighty way. And we're delighted that he can be here with us this week. You listen carefully. He comes and preaches to us at this time. Thank you, Pastor. Good to see everyone tonight. First Thessalonians chapter 5, please. God is a great God. Israel has always been the apple of his eye ever since he chose them. And contrary to what some are saying, God has not cast Israel off. Neither has God set them aside. And the phrase, times of the Gentiles, is not a good phrase in the scripture. It's a bad phrase. Jerusalem is the center of that pupil. And God, nothing, nothing of scriptural significance, prophetically speaking, will happen without Israel being right in the center of it. There are approximately 15 million Jewish people in the world. Half of them are living in Israel. There are more Jewish people living in Israel now than at any other time in history. God is gathering them back just like he said he was going to gather them back. It's happening right in front of our eyes. Don't let the devil sidetrack you from that. We're adopted in. We're grafted in among and with. Amen. Romans chapter 11. This is your history. There were Gentiles that sojourned, lived among them. There were Gentiles in Egypt that came out of Egypt with them. There were Gentiles under the blood at the Passover. Your relatives were with them. And when we came into the promised land, we lived in Galilee. Galilee of the Gentiles. That's where we lived. That's where our forefathers lived. Now, I came from Poland. I'm talking about before that. I came from Germany. I'm talking about before that. Thank God we didn't claim discrimination. Thank God we, our forefathers didn't say, well, who do those Jews think they are? Thank God they stuck with them. And they didn't claim, well, we're second class. No, God had to choose somebody. Well, he chose whoever he wanted. He chose Israel as his people. He put his name there. And so we get in on all those blessings. When we believe in the same God that Abraham believed in, we get redeemed and born again. Praise God, we're in. You know, Abram's name was changed from Abram, father of one, to Abraham. That's father of many. Abram, father of the Jewish people. Abraham, he's your spiritual father too. That's why we can cry, Abba! How many times have I heard little Hebrew children when they see their daddy, Abba! Father. Abba! Father. He's your spiritual father. The scripture says in Galatians, he had the gospel preached unto him. There's not, there's only one gospel. Anything else is the other. Another gospel. Amen. So, praise God. I just finished, I don't know, 42nd trip to Israel. I'd had some chest pains for three or four days. I just thought I'd been working hard, losing weight, lifting weights, playing big I was picking up 300-pound logs and setting them and splitting them, and I just thought, eh, you know, I'm a little sore from that. When I got on the international flight in Newark, New Jersey, I'd been having some pain. It just wouldn't go away. I couldn't rub it out. 
the tug pushed us out on the tarmac and the tug could not get disconnected. So I was on the plane praying, okay, Lord, you know, if this plane goes back in for any reason, I'm going to get off and go to the hospital. If the flight's canceled for any reason. Well, after two hours of delay, the tug got disconnected, but something got bent. I said, okay, if we go in, I'm getting off. We waited another hour for a mechanic. He said, you're okay to fly. So we flew. My pain went to a 10. But I did, I, I'm a tough guy, or at least I think I am. Don't tell me any different. <laughs> I've faced the biggest. Uh, I get root canals with no Novocaine. I have colonoscopies, and I stay awake and watch it on the screen. But my pain went to a 10, and then a lightning bolt went through me. I wasn't going to say anything because they're going to fly and land someplace in some remote island somewhere, you know. I pray, God, get me through this one. I had so many important meetings in Israel. We landed in Israel. Everything was delayed. You name it, if it could go wrong, it went wrong. Luggage, the whole work. Lieutenant Colonel was waiting to pick me up for hours. He picked me up. As soon as I got in his vehicle, we had an active shooter situation down where we were headed. I can't go into detail about that. So for the next seven days, I got very little sleep. And the pain stayed at a 10. The colonel's staff noticed something wrong with me. We were on the front lines. They gave me, they had a portable EKG, which they gave, indicated a heart attack. I was given an escort to a hospital in Beersheba. It's a Jewish, mainly Jewish hospital in Israel. It's overrun by Muslims with free health care. And the Arabs are patrolling, walking in and out of rooms, up and down the hallway, yelling and screaming at doctors and nurses. And there's not much they can do because they're afraid of getting a lawsuit against them. And there was an Arab with a knife going around trying to stab people. If they found out who I was, this was not going to be a good situation. So my doctor was Jewish, but also Russian Jewish. I speak a little bit of Russian. Dobre vecher, good evening. Uh, I speak a little Hebrew. We were able to communicate. But Arabs are coming in and out of our room, yelling, screaming. And he says, I'm, I'm, I'm keeping you. We're, we're going to go in. I said, no. He says, I'm ordering you to stay. I said, I'm not an Israeli citizen. You can't do that. And you got a guy with a knife out there. Either you take care of him or I'm going to. Somebody's got to. Amen, Brother Sharp. He said, you cannot leave. I have to leave. I promise you I will catch a flight out. He said, you're signing off. I'll sign off. You know, when they're taking blood work from you and the Arab taking the blood work drops the needles on the floor, picks them all up, and then takes blood from you, you kind of don't want to stay there. And how could I close both eyes? So I walked out of there, got another escort back to the front lines where I spoke to some of Israel's finest men and women. I could only muster enough strength for 20 minutes, but job, the job got done that God wanted to do. We went to the Israeli airport. The last flight, the last seat, first class, cost me $6,000 to get that seat. And another for my associate who hurt his back. I had to carry his luggage. Flight delayed. Three hours. Get in the air. Germany closes their airspace due to Russia. That's another delay while we're in the air. Land at Newark. And I'm first class. I get free phone calls in first class. So my doctor's calling me here in the States. We're good friends. Brian, I have an ambulance waiting for you in uh, Newark. I said, I'm not going to a hospital in Newark. I'm not going to go. He said, Brian, listen to me. I said, Doc, 
I'm the patient. Now you're going to listen to me for just a little bit. I can make it. I have the peace that I will make it. He said, all right, I'll have an ambulance waiting for you in St. Louis. I said, no. I know which hospital I'm going to go to. The ambulance will take me to the closest one. I know which one. Um, I will see you there. So we landed in Newark. Guess what? Missed the flight because we were late. Luggage lost again. Catch the last flight out, last two seats on the flight. We don't get into St. Louis till almost midnight. We go to the hospital, go in, tell them. The doctor starts lecturing me. You had this pain three days before. Why didn't you come in? I said, Doc, I'm going to stop you right there. I just went through 40 hours of purgatory to get to you. I've saw more life and death in the last three days than you've probably seen in your entire residency. When you're in the emergency room and you get hungry, do you tell everybody, I have to go eat a sandwich now, I can't work on you. My body is speaking to me. When you get tired, do you tell emergency patients, you know, I have to take a nap. I miss my nap time. Do you listen to your body or do you just dig down, suck it up, and pull something up from way well within? and muster through it. I said, now, I'm here to see you. I'd like to close both eyes and have you work on me. I'd like to rest. I didn't come here for a lecture. I have confidence in you. You want to work on me? Fine. It's a yes. You're not going to work on me and lecture me at the same time. If you don't want to work on me, just say no, and I will stand up on my own two feet and walk out and find someone who will. Do you understand, sir? And he says, I understand. I will work on you. So that night, I had all kinds of nurses and other doctors coming in because they have a scribe that writes everything down, and they wrote where I was in Israel, what I did. I, I had scripture studies for the next two days in the hospital, nonstop. And it was nice to be used to the Lord. I finally had to say, would you all mind if I close both eyes? It's been about four or five days since I've slept. So God worked everything out. By the way, when I was in Israel before I left, they all knew what was going on. They listened to me as if they were my last words. I spoke them as if they were my last words. With God, there are no accidents. Amen. Praise the Lord. Mission accomplished. And thank you for your prayers. First Thessalonians chapter 5, I have been speaking all day on the body the soul, the spirit, in reverse order, they are mentioned in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And as soon as I find that, uh, there are the three T's, Timothy, Titus, Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse number 23, And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. That's in a complete sense. And I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless until the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we ask that you would intervene. We pray that you would bless the message this evening. Please, God, give me the wisdom. I pray, Father, that you would give me the exact and appropriate words. Speak to every heart here. May you plant something by the rivers of water that will bring forth fruit in its season. Be a help, be a comfort, be a blessing. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Of the three, body, soul, and spirit, that a born-again person houses or makes up your whole, two of those should not be in the lead. The body should not be in the lead, and the soul should not be in the lead. And the reason is, is because they are vulnerable. Your body can be exploited. Your soul, your emotions can be exploited. They are very vulnerable. Your born-again spirit cannot be exploited. And I'm going to prove all of this. Your born-again spirit cannot sin. I'm not preaching sinless perfection. I'm saying there's a part of you that cannot sin because it's born of God. The other two parts of you, your soul and your body, not only are they vulnerable, they can be deceived. Now you have them and they can be trained. They can be trained appropriately. As I proved and by way of hand-raising vote, 
a woman's soul or her emotion is probably a little more fine-tuned and definitely more fine-tuned in areas that a man's is not so fine-tuned. Uh, the conscious state of awareness. A man, man is aware of what's going on in the world. A woman is more aware of what's going on with her children at the moment. I mean, ladies, if you hear an unfamiliar noise in a room where your children are, you have this conscious awareness something is not right. How many of you ladies, when your children are in another room, you know something's wrong if it's too quiet in the other room? And you want to, uh-oh, there's something, something's going on here. Okay, that's your soul. It is a conscious state of awareness. Men, you're aware. Oh, everything's all right in my father's house. That's great. But men, need, men are aware that the perimeter on the outside need to, needs to be secure in order for everything to be all right in here. And we, 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 that's innate more so in us than it is in women, while inside is more innate in a woman uh, than generally in a man. But our soul is a part of us, but the soul can be vulnerable. It can be swayed if it doesn't submit to your born-again spirit. Your body is very vulnerable. Men can sin in their body and do sin in their body without their soul crossing a line. Definitely the born-again spirit not crossing the line. Quite often a woman will cross the line with her soul. That's a tough one to pull back. And so both body and soul are vulnerable to both genders. And each gender has a body and soul. And all of us who are born again have a born again spirit. As I've stated repeatedly, your spirit cannot sin. Your soul can, your body can. Your soul's eternal, your body is temporal. Your soul, this conscious state of awareness, goes on into eternity, even for an unsaved individual. Unredeemed soul, that soul goes to hell. Remember the rich man in Luke 16? I'm tormented in this place. That's his soul crying out. It wants some relief. If you can send that beggar that sat outside my gate, the one with the soles all over him, I'll take one drop of water dripping from a man who has sores all over his flesh. I'm tormented. No. That soul's prayer could not be answered. But his soul still cried out. Could you at least send somebody to my brothers, my family? I don't want them coming here. Conscious state of awareness. I don't want them coming here. One rose from the dead. If they don't believe Moses and the prophets, they won't believe though one rose from the dead. No, your prayer can't be answered. So you see, there are eternal consequences when the soul is not been redeemed, doesn't step over and ask the Lord for salvation. Because the soul by itself, nor the body by itself, cannot get you into the portals of glory. Ye must be born again. If one can be good enough in soul or body, to get to heaven and end up in the new Jerusalem, then that individual is going to have to explain to me why Jesus had to die on the cross. So now that you've been born again, your spirit needs to be in the lead because it's trying to protect your soul. You can't lose your salvation. But your soul can make wrong decisions that that will crush you. And God doesn't want you to be crushed. God doesn't want you to be vulnerable. God doesn't want you to be taken advantage of. No one pulled the wool over Jesus' eyes. He was not tricked. He went to Calvary full well knowing what was about to happen. 
But he got beyond it. He got through it, excuse me, because he looked beyond it. Your spirit is what can look beyond what your soul and body may be going through. And your spirit will help you. Your spirit will comfort you. Your born-again spirit will guide you because he's led by the Holy Spirit who only uses the words that are in this book. Go to Romans 8.14. I left off there this morning. I've given you many things about the Spirit. Again, this could go on for many, many lessons. And I advise everyone to just make a list. All the verses that contain the word Spirit, all the verses that contain the word soul, all the verses that contain the word body or flesh, and you'll see the division. And yet they are one. Romans 8, verse number 14, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Verse 16, The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit. You see the uppercase S and the lowercase S and the word spirit that is twice in that verse? The uppercase, Holy Spirit, lowercase, your born-again spirit. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. As I stated earlier, since I've been saved, I cannot think of a moment that I have doubted my salvation. I've wondered why he'd save a wretch like me, but I've not doubted it. When I got born again, I got born again. I mean, it was complete change. Now, I've counseled scores of people, if not more, that have doubted their salvation. Majority probably women than men, but both genders, doubting their salvation. And I have questions that I ask when one doubts their salvation. The first question I will ask is, when's the last time you read your scripture? Because the Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the sons of God. Those are absolutes. So the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit, cannot bear witness with your born-again spirit unless you read these words. So if that's the problem and, and you've been lax, I suggest you read it. The solution is not that you get born again and again and again and again because you don't feel like you're saved. The solution is that you get confirmation, that your soul gets confirmation, and your spirit will get the confirmation from the Word of God who will then instruct your soul, and your problem can be solved. Now, if it persists after that, and you're, if your answer When's the last time you read the Word of God? Well, Brother Sharp, I just don't understand the Scriptures. Okay, now we have a different problem. You're being honest, and thank you for that. But now we have a different problem. You see, when the Holy Spirit came inside of me, and all believers, he gives us discernment of this book. If you cannot understand any portion of the Word of God, then I'm going to ask you, tell me your salvation experience. And I'm going to listen very carefully, trying to help you. Because something is amiss here. If you've been born again, and you're reading but you don't understand anything, something's wrong. An emotional decision perhaps was made that your soul is trying to say, well, you were born again. Because remember, everybody else went forward and you went forward too. Okay, salvation is individual. There's no such thing as collective salvation. Yeah, but you grew up in church. And your soul will try to cover up. What's everybody going to think? No, just pretend everything's okay. And, but you still get haunted. And you still have the doubts. So we'll go over that. And if you need to be born again, look, there's no shame in being born again. Get it settled. Stop letting the devil torment you. What's everybody going to think? Everybody who loves you is going to rejoice with you. Anybody who doesn't, you don't need them as a friend anyway. Amen, Brother Sharp. 
The rest of us are going to rejoice with you. Now, verse 17, Romans 8, And if children, then heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we may suffer with him, we may be also glorified. So the Holy Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. I made a bold statement more than once today that your born-again spirit cannot sin. I want to prove that now. Go to 1 John, please, chapter 3 and verse 8. Again, just because you have a born-again spirit doesn't mean the whole of you is perfect because your soul, the others... 666% of you still can sin. 1 John chapter 3 and verse number 8. Now there are those who take these verses and quote them and try to establish doctrines of men that either someone who saved, who sinned after they got saved, wasn't saved to begin with, or someone who claims they've been saved and then sins afterwards, needs to get saved again and again and again and again and again. Now, as I read these verses, permit me to play devil's advocate for just a moment. My wife says this comes naturally to me. And it does, because there's nothing good about the natural Brian Sharp. I'm going to read these verses as if the devil were quoting them and I'm going to add a little sarcastic bite to it. And as the devil will use scripture occasionally to try to confuse people and lead them astray. So that's the intent right here. Your born-again spirit should catch it. Your soul might be deceived. All right? So I'm stepping into the role of devil's advocate. I want to read the verses of Scripture with a little sarcastic bite. 1 John 3, verse number 8. He that committeth sin is of the devil. How many of you are saved? How many of you have sinned since you've been saved? He that committeth sin is of the devil. Continue reading. For the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. Well, the works of the devil aren't destroyed in you because you said you still sinned. Let's continue reading. Verse 9. Whosoever is born of God. How many of you are born of God? Yeah, I'm still in the role of devil's advocate here, okay? Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin. Is that what your King James Scripture says, yes or no? Does it say, whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin? Yes or no? You raise your hand that you sinned since you've been saved. Yes or no? Devil's advocate here. Then you really weren't saved, were you? Because it says, whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin, doesn't laugh in church, doesn't sin, and you sin. Then the devil hops on your shoulder and says, you really weren't saved, were you? If you were saved, you wouldn't have done that, would you? Let me step out of devil's advocate. You see how powerful he can be? Continue reading, back in the role of devil's advocate. Verse 9. Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin, for his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin, because he's born of God. Right there it says, Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin, and he cannot sin. Is that what it says, yes or no? And yet every one of you raised your hand that you sins after you got saved. Hypocrite. Weren't sincere. Didn't mean it. Can't remember the details. 
Now, let me get back in the role of preacher. Okay? Everybody with me here? The devil can use Scripture. As I'll prove later, he tried with Jesus. And very subtly, very subtly alter or change something. How do we explain this? Well, Brother Sharp, you know, once saved, always saved. Has everlasting life, eternal life. Okay, well then, what if the argument was, which one of the scriptures is correct? This one or the ones you just quoted in John 3.15 and John 3.16? God's not the author of confusion. Is there harmony here, yes or no? What if we can't figure it out? Is there still harmony here? Do we erase these verses? Do we try to give them a different meaning? Is any passage of Scripture going to uproot or deny any other portion of God's Word? No contradictions? Okay. So how do we explain this? Whosoever is born of God, verse 9, doth not commit sin, for his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin, because he's born of God. Well, we can explain this. Because we've already proven the only part of us that got born again of God was our dead spirit that he quickened and made alive. So that part of us cannot sin because it's born of God. But the other two parts of us still can sin. So when a believer sins and the devil or his advocates get up on your shoulder and either sarcastic or whisper, you weren't saved, probably didn't mean it. When they whisper all of these things that get you to doubt or confuse you, you now know what the correct answer is. Get thee behind me, Satan. It is written. And then you have to quote some scriptures you have to realize that your born-again spirit cannot sin. So when you doubt your salvation, if you're saved, and you doubt your salvation, you have to then realize, okay, what did my soul do? What did my body do? <laughs> what did it do in an act of commission? What did they do in an act of omission? I'm not reading the scripture, but they did something that has caused you to doubt, and they took the lead instead of your born-again spirit taking the lead. Everybody understand? How many of you understand? Would you raise your hand so I can keep going? All right. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Peter 1, 3. Which according to his abundant mercy hath, here's the phrase, begotten us again. That's the born again that Jesus was talking about to Nicodemus in John chapter 3. Begotten us again. A dead spirit was made live. It was quickened. It was brought to life. It's begotten of God. It's not born of water. It's not born of the flesh. It's not natural after Adam. It is supernatural. Born again, regenerated by the Holy Ghost coming inside of you. He's in you. And when I got saved, I got a Holy Spirit. I didn't get a provocative spirit. I got a Holy Spirit. I did not get a lascivious spirit. I received a Holy Spirit. I didn't receive an argumentative spirit. I got a Holy Spirit. I didn't receive a rebellious spirit. I got a Holy Spirit who taught my born-again spirit, and my born-again spirit now trying to teach my soul, and it's a struggle constantly. But my born-again spirit is absolutely eternal. It's been born of God. It does not sin. It cannot sin because it's born of God. The Holy Spirit's called the Spirit of Truth. He cannot guide a believer any other way. The Holy Spirit will never guide you to make a mistake. When I hear people try to justify doing wrong by saying, well, I, the Spirit led me. No, the Spirit didn't lead you. Your soul led you. Because He's the Holy Spirit. He's God inside of you. Wow! What comfort that is. 1 Peter 1.11 
Searching what or what manner of time? The Spirit of Christ which was in them. That's the prophets of old. Did they have God in them? Yes, they did. That didn't happen beginning at the day of Pentecost. They had it in them. I can show you a whole bunch of people that were filled with the Holy Ghost before Jesus was ever born. In the Scripture, it says that. Our soul can be purified and trained, but only through our born-again spirit, the Holy Spirit, and the words of God. 1 Peter 1.22 Seeing ye have purified your souls. Remember our text verse? Sanctify you wholly, purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren. See that you love one another with a pure heart fervently. My next point is this, about our born-again spirit. It is the part of you that can discern the Scriptures. Go, if you would, to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. You can get them. You can understand. This is not beyond your reach. You can understand what God is saying in, the, in these pages, in these words. You have someone inside of you. You have one-third of the Godhead inside of you. God will give you helpers and helps along the way. Children, God will give you parents, wives. You will have husbands, widows. You will have deacons, church. You will have a pastor. But God, he gives evangelists. He gives pastors. He gives people in addition to the Holy Spirit to help us understand the words in this book. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse number 9. But as it is written, eye hath not seen, nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart. Tell me what the heart, what part of you is the heart? So, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. Now, again, I've heard the scripture used many times. It's, you know, heaven's going to be so wonderful. They always forget the new Jerusalem. That's eternal. God's going to create a new heaven and new earth one day. Why would I want to live in a place that's going to be destroyed? The new Jerusalem is absolutely eternal. Eye hath not seen, ear hath not heard the things that God hath prepared for them that love him. Wow. Eye hath not seen, ear hath not heard. Well, we just don't know what the future is going to be. Okay, that's your soul speaking to me. You're misinterpreting this passage. Just read the next verse. What's the first word in verse 10? What did I teach you today? What kind of word is it? Conjunction. What's it hooked together? Two what? Opposites. What's in verse 9? Eye hath not seen, ear hath not heard, neither has it entered into the heart of man the things that God hath prepared for him. What's the first word in verse 10? So it's going to be opposite. Verse 9, hasn't even entered into our soul. Verse 10, but... But that tells me you, you can't know some things about the future that God has prepared for you. Verse 10, But God hath revealed them unto us by His Spirit. For the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. People say, Brother Sharp, man, you, you preach a lot about prophecy. One person criticized me. I said, have you not read Revelation 19.10, where the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy? So if I have a spirit of prophecy about me, I'm going to take it as a compliment that my testimony is getting a little more like Jesus. Amen. I see things, spiritually speaking. I don't sell pop-tarts on Amazon that have an emblem of the Virgin Mary on them for $250,000. That's not what I'm talking about. Or eBay, whatever that is. That, I don't even live in that world. I see things. What do you see? I see Israel being regathered. I see a falling away. Oh yeah, them Catholics. Catholics don't fall away. They never had the right position to fall from. Well, the method, they don't fall away. The emerging church, they don't fall away. They never had it right to begin with. 
What denomination do you think has had it most correct in the last hundred years? Independent Baptist. So if a falling away happens, it has to fall, the falling away has to happen with those who had a correct position first. Get my book on if the foundation be destroyed. See the subtlety of Satan as he's crept in unawares at the other book. God, verse 10, but God hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit. I see things. I see how sermons are originated with the soul and not the Spirit. I see people speaking from soul and not the Spirit, trying to argue a point. I see Israel being regathered. I see the Jews studying the words that Moses and the prophets wrote. I'll take that. I don't have to get past Genesis 3.15 before I can prove who the Messiah was and is and shall be. I'll take it. I see many antichrists, as John said, would be in the last days. I see perilous times. I see wars and rumors of war. I see that Judah, the southern portion of Israel, is being strengthened to protect the entire country. I see phase one of a battle in Magog were on the doorsteps. I see China aligning to bring Armageddon. I see the Lord Jesus Christ after the trumpet sound seven years later coming on a white horse and we with him and saving the tents of Judah first. Why? Because I see what Isaiah saw in the temple. I see the same thing. I see the northern half, Israel, divided kingdom, southern half, Judah, Solomon's divided love, divided kingdom between his two sons, Jeroboam and Rehoboam. I see it. I see Israel, northern half, becoming confederate with Syria to fight Assyria and a prophecy that God would judge them, and it hasn't happened yet. I see it. I see Isaiah going and taking one of his two sons God commanded him to take one of his two sons with him when he preached. Look up their names. One son's name means you made a hasty decision, Israel, and you're going to be judged for it. The other son's name means you made a wrong decision, but come back and there'll be mercy. And like six guns on his hip, whichever son was with him is the definition of the message that he preached. All of you messengers that use the phrase, here am I, send me, would you please see what that means and quit perverting it? I see Isaiah saw the Lord Jesus Christ in the temple in Jerusalem. He saw God. And yet he wasn't killed, just like Jacob saw God at Jabbok and wasn't killed. And no man can look upon God the Father and live. They looked upon God the Son. I see we're commanded to look and live. I see Jesus on his white horse. I see a 200 million man army. I see Judah, Israel, northern half, squashed all the way down to the southern half a few olives in the utmost branches. I see the destruction of Damascus. It's nearly there. I see the northern half down to the southern half. Do you understand why I go to the southern half and, and distribute thousands of copies of God's Word one-on-one -on -one with Jewish people, especially those that are defending the country? I see, because they saw it in the Scripture. Who showed it to you, Holy Spirit? When are we going to become discerners 
and not conceited. See what God has in these words. I see the word of God coming forth from Jesus' lips. And giving unto them as they have unto others. They've beheaded others. They will be decapitated with that sharp sword. I see the blood running bridled deep. In Megiddon, all the way through the Kidron Valley, I see him setting foot on the Mount of Olives. I see it renting in twain. I see the Kidron Valley filled in. And the Mount of Olives, every mountain shall be made low, and every valley shall be exalted. I see that. Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make the crooked places straight. I see it's going to happen. I see him going through the eastern gate. I see him dismounting and grabbing the Antichrist by the nap of the neck and seat of the pants and casting him into the lake of fire, along with the false prophet. I see him chaining the devil up for a thousand years, and during that time, Jesus sits on the throne of his, one of his earthly ancestors, David. I see the throne of David, as prophesied in the scripture. I see water proceeding from that throne. I see it going down the Jordan Valley. I see it touching the banks and trees growing and all manner of fruit. I see it flowing all the way down to the Dead Sea, the lowest place on the planet, with nothing alive in that main body of water. And yet when the water from his throne touches, there is a river, by the way. I see it. I see when that river touches the Dead Sea. I see that Dead Sea bringing forth all manner of fish and men standing on the shores of Engedi where David hid from Saul in that cave and casting their nets out and pulling all manner of fish together and there will be peace in the valley for me someday. My spirit comforts my soul because I see these things. And this book is of no private interpretation. God sees the end from the beginning. He sees it all on a flat screen. I can see a few things that I've just mentioned on a flat screen all at once. But the more I read this book, the more I can see it's revealed by the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 14, 1 Corinthians 2, verse 14. But the natural man, what two parts of you make up the natural man? The natural man receiveth not. So we, now we have another but, so we've got to do another opposite. God does reveal those unto us by his Spirit, but the natural man can't get it. Your soul can't quite get this. It'll substitute a choir special for the truth of God's Word, and I'm not demeaning a choir special. But you can't count on that. You can count on God's Word. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them. Now look at this last phrase in 1 Corinthians 2.14. Because they, the things of God, are, how are they discerned? Thank you. And only your born-again spirit can discern it. Discern is beyond wisdom. B discern is beyond knowledge. Discern has to do with, you are aware there are fakes out there. Now, you don't have to study all the fakes. You have to study the truth. The Secret Service goes through an educational process. They safeguard the paper currency, dollar bills, $100 bills, of the United States of America. They do not study counterfeit money. They study the real thing. And they study and study and look at the real thing. And when you know the real thing, the errors leap off the page of somebody else's perverted or out of the mouth. 
You ever on visitation, maybe in a poor section of town? You ever go in, you have to turn a light on, see cockroaches on the wall? When the light comes on, where do the cockroaches do? You don't study darkness. You study the light. When you see the light, when you know the light, when the light is revealed unto you, the darkness is in a contrast. And you will be perceptive to know that men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. I have so much to give you, I'm not even halfway through. True or error? The following statement. Ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. Let me say it this way. Ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. True or false? How many of you think true? How many of you think false? How many of you are not going to raise your hand no matter what I say? <laughs> you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. Don't you want to be free? Why is that statement false? Somebody, anybody, raise your hand if you know why. Yes, ma'am. Thank you. Did your soul catch that, or did your spirit catch that? Your born-again spirit caught that. You see, the Scripture does not say, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. You can be led astray. Man, you in prison, you in bondage by drugs, immorality, and all that other stuff. Man, you need to come to the truth. Truth sets you free. You're vulnerable. That individual it can lead, make merchandise of you, as the Scripture says. The correct word is not set, it is made. You shall know the truth, the truth shall make you free. There's a difference between make and set. If you're set free, you can be locked back up again. Truth makes you free. My spirit's free. Put my body in a prison, my spirit's still free. You can torment me where my soul is sorrowful, my spirit's still free. My wife doesn't understand why I can drive for 16 hours and never listen to a song. You turn my truck on, nothing. Nothing. Turn my wife's vehicle on. Everything is on. Everything. I can sit in silence for days. Something weird about you, Brother Sharp. Really? My soul does not need the entertainment to continue. My body does not need physical strength to continue as long as it's alive. Why? Because my soul is still present. And I talk with God. And I'm quoting Scripture. And the Holy Ghost is helping me with the Scripture. And we're having a wonderful time. I am not lonely. I have God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. I have great fellowship. Great fellowship with the Word of God. Now I understand not everybody would like that lifestyle. I do understand that. And I understand the soul of even all of us needs to be encouraged from time to time. 
But neither body or soul being in the lead, but spirit being in the lead will protect you, guide you, strengthen you, give you a peace that passes all understanding, keep you from being exploited, being vulnerable, people taking advantage of you that appeal to your soul or body, your spirit will protect you because it's born of God. And it will use these words. I wished I could get into all the times that Jesus was tempted. But I'm out of time. His soul was tempted. He had a body. He had a soul. They went through a lot. He died as a man. At one point, forsaken. He became sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. But before then, the devil tempted him. If thou be the Son of God, command these stones be made bread. He'd fasted for 40 days. He was led by the Spirit after that. Do you think his body would, I mean, you go without eating for 40 days. I mean, you'll eat peas and beets. And I don't like either one of those. But I would eat them after 40 days. Well, how do you respond? It is written. It is written. Thou shalt not live by bread alone, but every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Take him up on a high pinnacle. Cast thyself down. Satan said, for it is written. He shall give his angels charge of thee. Even if you stumble over a stone. I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world. All the kingdoms of the world belong to him anyway. Amen. He's king of kings and lord of lords. Why do you like Esau and sell a birthright? Because he was hungry and his body and soul ganged up, made a decision for him, but not Jesus. It is written. He always responded with, it is written. Your born-again spirit will respond with, it is written, if it knows what is written. Because the Holy Ghost, some things you don't take thought for because the Holy Ghost will bring them at the time needed, the Scripture says. But you've got to read this book. All right, I'm done. I, I wish I could go on for a long time. I hope that God has allowed me, through his word, to at least get you started on what makes you up. Your body, your soul, and your born-again spirit. Please study each of those. Please start with your born-again spirit, because it should be in the lead. And look at the word spirit, lowercase, uppercase. Look at being born again. Look at those things. Then go to your soul, because that's close to your spirit. And then after that, let your born-again spirit and your soul gang up on your flesh, because that's got to be crucified daily. That's the worst part of us. God wants to help you. He's giving you every single tool to help you. He loves you. He sees you. He absolutely understands you because he made you. He made you the first time, and he provided salvation for you so that you could be born again. He understands every part of you, every bit of it. His word is tailor-made just for you. Father, bless, we pray. The message, bless our invitation time. With our head bowed and our eyes closed, again, by way of uplifted hand, how many would indicate Brother Sharp? God spoke to me during the message, or I learned something during the message. I want to praise him. Give him the thanks. If that's you, lift your hand up, wave it to him. Upwards, God bless. Amen. Praise the Lord. Thank you. You may put your hands down. I'll ask you to do something about it in just a moment. Let me ask another question. Perhaps you're not sure you've been born again. God does love you. He loved you so much, he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for you. You cannot get to heaven on your own merit. Your soul can't be good enough. Your body cannot be good enough. You must be born again. If you are not born again, if you're not sure you're saved, at least allow me to pray for you. 
it's a tormenting situation, let me at least pray for you, because God wants it resolved in your life. Brother Sharp, I'm not saved, but I want to be. If that's you, just slip your hand up and write back down. Or I'm not sure, Brother Sharp, but I want the absolute assurance. If that's you, just slip it up and write back down. Who would do that tonight? All right, let's all stand, please. You take a look at me, head up, eyes open. My invitations are usually always the same. I'm going to pray. I'll close with an amen. When I say amen, piano starts. My job's done. I've got to sit down. Your job begins. God, talk to you. Talk to him. If you can get to the altar, come. Need to be saved or baptized? See our associate who will be standing down here. You just need to talk to him and thank him and ask him to help you follow your born-again spirit and help your born-again spirit follow the Holy Spirit and the words of God. Tell him about that. Father, bless, we pray this invitation in Jesus' name. Amen. You